1 John chapter 4. Tonight I'm going to begin with one verse, teach you, take just a couple minutes and teach you a principle, and then I want to apply that principle in a specific situation. The Bible is a book of principles. Every verse has one interpretation and many applications. And the Bible is an absolute limitless book when it comes to wisdom and truth. And the applications we make from the the truths we find are rich and beneficial. 1 John chapter 4, let's stand for the reading of God's word. First John chapter 4 and verse 19, let's say it together, ready? We love Him because He first loved us. Let's say that again, First John chapter 4 verse 19, the Word of God says, We love Him because He first loved us. And let's pray, Father, thank You for this truth, and I pray tonight You'd help us to see the application of it. Uh, in this specific way we're going to talk about to enrich our relationships. And I ask that you would deepen our understanding of you, of spiritual things, of human nature, and that we could become uh, the people that you've created us to be as we begin to live out these eternal truths. Pray that you'd strengthen marriages and homes and relationships. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. This is a familiar verse for many, a powerful verse, so few words, but such power. And we could preach dozens of different messages out of this verse, even just with with trying to touch the the bigness of the thought uh, in all the different angles. But the Bible says we love Him, or we love God, because He first loved us. Now think about that, that's a... That's a valuable lesson. We love God because He first loved us. The Bible goes on to teach us that not only did God teach us to love, but He taught us how to love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, or if God loved us like that, we might say in our vernacular, The word so speaks of type and kind. If God loved us like that, we ought also to love one another. And the idea is, if God loved us like that, then we ought to love one another like that. And so, the Bible teaches us, first of all, that we love God because He loved us, and then it teaches us that He taught us how to love or with a specific kind of love. And this is the truth for tonight. Simple title to the message and a simple thought. Love begets love. Love begets love. You could say it this way. Love births love. Love generates love. We didn't love God until he loved us. But when he loved us, his love birthed love in us so that we could love him back. Love begets love. Here's an interesting thought. In a world that desperately needs more love, what if we could help generate more love in the world. Well, wait a minute. We just learned we can. Because love begets love. If we want love, if we want more love in the world, we need to love more. And our love will beget more love. So people don't know how to love then when we love people the right way, they learn how to love the right way. See, whatever family you grew up in, there was a certain type of 
love in that home, and that's the type of love you learn how to love with. And each one of us, we, we, when we come face to face with God, we learn that there's a higher and a deeper love than any of us ever thought possible because it's God's love. It's agape love. It's divine love. And His divine love for us generates divine love in us back to Him. And because He loved us with that type of love, He taught us to love one another with that type of love. If you want more love in your family, then love more. If you want more love at your job, then love more. If you want more love in your church, then love more. If you want more love in your nation, in the world, then love more because love generates love. I heard a story many years ago of a, he was a Muslim man. He was actually the son of a prominent Muslim terrorist. And he ended up getting saved because of this concept of love. And I heard him give a talk one time and he said, in the Muslim religion, we don't have the concept of Christian love like you have. He said, you all take it for granted. He said, but we are not taught that Allah loves us. We are not taught that Allah would die for us. We're to die for him. Matter of fact, if we love him enough, we will kill you. But he said the idea that Christians could love people that hate them and Christians could die with love in their heart, that we could kill someone and their family would express love for us and concern for our souls. He said, I couldn't escape that idea of love. And it was love that turned him to Christ. Love begets love. And here's how I want to apply this tonight. We're coming up to Valentine's Day and, of course, love and, and marriage. Think about this. What if you could generate more love in your marriage? What if you could have a more loving marriage? Would you want that? I think we all would. Well, the answer is you can because love begets love. And in this message, we're going to learn how to generate more love in a marriage, but you say, well, I'm not married, or I'm a child, or, or I'm not married yet, or my, my spouse is in heaven. The truths that I'm going to teach you are not just for marriage. If you apply these principles to any relationship, I believe that you can generate, as you love, you can generate more love in your own heart and in the hearts of the people around you, and we all end up with more loving marriages, more loving friendships, more loving homes, more loving churches, more loving world, and so on. Get this, folks. If Christians don't get love right, the rest of the world won't understand it. Love is the badge of the Christian. Jesus said, by this love shall all men know that you're my disciples. If anybody in the world should understand how love works, it's got to be the Christians. Because if we don't understand it, then nobody else is going to. And this powerful truth that we have been given the power to generate love because as we choose to love and act upon that love, it can birth more love. Now let's talk about this in the in the uh, context of marriage. Consider the importance of loving marriages for a moment. The family is the building block of society. Would you agree with that? The family is the building block of society. But what's the building block of the family? It's the marriage. 
the husband and wife leave father and mother and cleave unto themselves, forming a new family unit. Then the children come, but you have a family before there's children. You have a husband and a wife, family, children, and then God's plan is those children grow up, they leave their father and mother, they cleave to one another. Now you have a new family unit. And so the family is the building block of society, and marriage is the building block of the family. Let me say it another way. The family is only as strong as the marriage. I tell married couples all the time, the best thing you can do for your children is to have a loving marriage. Ma'am, love your husband. That's the best thing you can do for your kids. Sir, love your wife. That's the best thing you can do for your kids. The family is only as strong as the marriage And society is only as strong as the family. That means society is only as strong as the marriage is. Is there any wonder why marriage has been under assault from such an assault from Satan? Any way you choose to look at it, marriage is of vital importance to every person as an individual and to society as a whole. Satan has worked overtime to attack the foundations of our culture by attacking the family and marriage in particular. And he's had success. As time passes, less people are getting married. Less people today are getting married than in the past. More and more people are just choosing to live together. Those that do get married are getting married later and later in life. Now it's not uncommon for someone to get married after they've got their career established. People are getting married at 30, 35, and 40 when they used to get married married at 20 and 25. One in five American adults say they don't plan on having any children. Think about that as Americans have been taught to believe that children are a hindrance to your career. They cost a lot of money. They're a lot of trouble. And one in five adult Americans say, I don't plan on having any kids. Almost half of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 70% of third marriages end in divorce. Maybe divorce isn't the answer. Yeah. 33% of all children live in fatherless homes. Think about that. And in some segments of society, it's almost 70% of children in certain segments of society are growing up in fatherless homes. Fatherlessness increases poverty, it increases the rates of going to prison, it increases the rates of crime. Satan has had some success in destroying the family. Of the little more than 50% of people that stay married, I wonder what percentage of those marriages are truly functional marriages. I wonder what percentage of them stay together because they know they should or for convenience and how many of them have a functional marriage that both of them say we are happy with the way things are. That number gets very small, folks. These Satan's had some successes. And each one of these issues can be traced back to the struggles of men and women to engage in loving marriages that stand the test of time. How can we we gain some ground in this thing? The, The way we gain ground is to inject more love into marriage, inject more love into our relationships. Well, I can't go down to Walmart and buy some love. I can't go down to CVS and get a prescription for love. 
No, but with God's help, love begets love. You can generate more love in your marriage, in your own heart, and in the heart of the object of your love. We understand that husbands are commanded to love their wives. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So husbands, you have a biblical command to love your wives. You say, well, the Bible doesn't command women to love their husbands in this passage. I would disagree. I would say that the way God teaches a wife to love her husband is through respect. See, your husband will never feel loved until he feels respected. And if you don't respect him, he'll never feel loved. So you you love a wife. Men will try to love their wives while respecting, through respect. And women don't receive love primarily through respect. They They receive love primarily through security. Through the security of sacrifice, knowing that I will do whatever it takes to stay with you and protect you, provide security for a wife. That's why Jesus said, husbands, or the, the scripture says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What kind of love? And gave himself for it. When a woman knows that a husband will sacrifice himself at the altar of their marriage to do what's best for the family, she feels loved. And when a woman says, I may not agree with you, but I respect you and I will listen to you a man feels loved. If we could just get those things down, (laughs) we would be a lot further down the road to a good marriage, wouldn't we? (laughs) But the Bible does specifically give ladies a commandment to to love their husbands. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, we find a discussion of some things that young women need to be taught by the older women. And you, you elderly saints, those of you that have had your families, your ministry's not done. Part of your job is now to teach the younger women how to be good wives and good mothers and, and good Christian ladies. And you men that, that have run part of your race and, and your, your family has grown, part of your job is to teach the young men how to, how to be a man and a good father and a good husband and those types of things. And, and pass on the truths that you have learned. But look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, that the aged woman likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, not, not teachers of good things. Excuse me, teachers of good things. You know, a lot of women, when they get older, they become backbiters. And I know an awful lot of women who are they got to have their few glasses of wine before they go to bed. You know, a lot, there are a lot of woman drunks in this world, folks. It's not just a men's problem. And so the Bible here is saying, listen, whenever you get older, realize that you still have an obligation to live a holy life, to not be a backbiter or a gossip, to not be given to much wine, but to be teachers of good things. Why? Verse 4, that they, the aged women, may teach the young women to be sober, to be serious, to take their responsibility seriously, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. I think there's a lot of Christian women that don't even know those verses are in the Bible. Yep. Let me just say to you women that are keepers at home and your job is to be a, a full-time mother or a housewife, you have the most important job of any lady I know. It's more important to be a wife and mother than to be the CEO of a company or to be an executive vice president or to have a fancy career. If you have a career then use it to honor God and make sure you maintain your responsibilities at home. 
But one of the results of the feminism of the 70s and 80s was trying to teach women that you'll only be true happy, truly happy when you have the career of a man. And I've known a lot of women sit in my office and cry saying, I've got this career, we're living off my money, we can't live without it, I've got, I've got these degrees, but I just want to be home with my kids. And you got some women whose kids are so bad, they just want to go to work. Amen. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work to raise kids. You say, well, what do you do for work? Oh, I don't work. I'm just a housewife. You've got the hardest work. It's easier to go to work than to, to raise the next generations of humans that are going to populate the planet. So the Bible means when it says that women will be saved in childbearing, they they find their greatest fulfillment and their greatest contribution to society through being a Christian wife and mother. That's where the greatest fulfillment comes. Here wives are commanded to love their husbands. Notice it says that they're also commanded to love their children. Who would have thought that God would have to Say, some women need to be taught to love their children. But I assure you, that's the case. Not to the, not to the folks in this room. There are ladies that need to be taught, you need to love your children and how to love them properly. See, the Bible teaches if love remains strong, then marriage can endure any difficulty. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity never faileth. This is true love, genuine love. God's love never fails. It never dies. Did you know that there are some people that end up getting a divorce and they're shocked to find out some years later when they have gotten enough distance from their ex, they're shocked to find out they still have real deep feelings for their ex their ex-husband, their ex-wife. A matter of fact, a large portion of them who got divorced over foolish things, a large portion of them will look at you and say, I made a mistake. See, true love never dies, but it can get buried under a mountain of problems. And a lot of times in marriage counseling, I'll hear things like this, we just don't love each other anymore. Or, you know, we just fell out of love. Well, you don't fall in love and you don't fall out of love. What happens? Love gets buried. And it doesn't make it any less valuable. It's just you don't even know it's there anymore. And oftentimes in marriage counseling, it's like peeling back the onion. You peel back the onion of all the problems and difficulties and slights and, and, and uh, resentments and all of that and hurts and you find that love is still alive and well. And it's a beautiful thing if you can figure that out before you make the mistake of parting thinking love's gone. But in this in this understanding that marriage is so important and and a strong marriage can endure any difficulty. What, what we need then is more love. And I want to just give you a few principles tonight. I don't have time to develop any of these or give you any, any substantiating verses. I think they're pretty much self-evident. I just want to give you some thoughts tonight. Some simple things you can do that show love that will help generate more love. You know, it's not a secret why two people can learn to love each other. It's really not a secret. And to just say it simply, if you would keep doing the things that you did to fall in love, you would stay in love. The problem is couples get married and they stop doing the things that they did when they were getting to know each other and they begin just living life, and it's almost like running, it's almost like a joint venture. We are running this business called our family, and if you're not careful, you'll have a husband and wife living beside each other, 
each taking care of their responsibilities. It's almost like a business arrangement rather than living life together. And you really want to get to that place where, no, we we are going to fight for this idea that we can love each other passionately and deeply for a lifetime. Doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. Doesn't mean we won't go through difficulties. Doesn't mean there won't be dry patches and things we're going to have to work on. We might even need to get some help sometime. But we are going to fight for our love. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep infusing love into this relationship. You say, what if your spouse doesn't want to do it? I often say marriage isn't 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. You give 100% and they give 100%. But what happens? When they're not giving 100%, you're still giving 100%. Some days your wife's going to have a bad day. You better have a good day on that day. And someday, ma'am, your husband's going to have a bad day. And you better have a good day on that day. Because the real trouble happens when you both have a bad day on the same day. That's when there's mushroom clouds over your house and the neighbors hear the hollering. And and the kids are like, what's going on with mom and dad? But if you're both giving 100% when one of you struggles, someone else is still infusing love into the relationship. So let me give you some thoughts here. And although, again, although this is directed to married couples, you can use these principles for friendship, for family, for any relationship, and they will deepen the connection and help infuse love into any relationship. Now let me just give you some, and i got to move quickly here, some thoughts. Number one, pick up on small moments that are opportunities to connect. As humans, we tend to value the big moments, overvalue those, and undervalue the small moments. Let me ask you what's better. One big moment or a hundred small ones? And I would tell you the 100 small ones are more powerful than the big ones. I would tell you that it will deepen your relationship more to have 100 meaningful conversations than to spend $10,000 to take your family to two weeks to Disney World. See, we overvalue the big moments and we undervalue the small moments. Love seeks connection. Love is strengthened by every positive interaction. And that means we need to look for small occasions to bond. Engage positively to any opening. For example, you're with your loved one or someone you care about and they sigh. You can either ignore that and be like, oh no, I wonder if they want to talk. I better make myself busy. (laughs) Or you could say, oh sweetie, what was that sigh? It's a moment to engage. Or someone says, huh, that's interesting. And you say, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. As you're looking at your phone, yeah, yeah, sure, that's interesting. (laughs) Or you could say, oh, what's interesting? Someone asks a question. Hey, what's, what do you think about this? Yeah. Or you say, you know, that's an interesting question. Here's what I think. What are your thoughts about it? The simple fact here is, But if you pick up on the small moments that are opportunities to connect, many small moments are more powerful than a few large ones. Amen? Anytime you choose to engage, anytime you choose to connect positively, you're investing in that relationship and it builds rapport, it builds love and connection. Number two, discover through questions. You know, during the beginning phases of a new relationship, there's a lot of questions asked. Oh, where are you from? Really? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Oh, what school did you go to? Yeah, what about this? What about that? What about this situation? There's constant questions to discovering. And watch this. When someone's asking you questions about you, it makes you feel loved and connected and appreciated 
Why is it that whenever we get married, we say, well, I already know everything. I already know how many siblings you have. I already know where you were born. I know your parents' names. So we just stop being curious. And the lack of curiosity is one of the things that's going to kill your relationship. As long as you stay curious, you've got to understand that you will never mind the depths of their heart. You'll never understand all there is to know about that beautiful mind or the way they see the world. And one way you can generate love is to ask, watch this, ask open-ended questions. Don't ask questions that require a yes or no. Ask open-ended questions. And then, initially, your spouse or your friend or whoever, they may not be used to talking because they're not used to being around people that genuinely want to know so you'll probably get one or two word answers but then keep asking questions and keep asking questions and explain that to me oh tell me about that that sounds interesting and whenever we ask questions it helps people feel loved and it deepens your connection the more you know about them the more deeply you're connected the more you know things that other people don't know, the deeper your connection. So never stop asking questions. Never stop being curious. Number three, express gratitude freely. So we're talking about generating love. If you want to generate love, pick up on those small moments to connect. Discover through questions. Ask open-ended questions. Number three, express gratitude freely. The human brain is hardwired to look for problems. But you need to train yourself to see the blessings. I was sitting at a meal with someone one time, and this is a long time ago, and we're sitting on the table at a meal, and, and the wife had worked for hours on this soup. And she puts the soup down, and she stands there eagerly waiting to see how her husband likes it. And, and uh, he... He takes a, a sip of it, and the first thing out of his mouth was, needs more salt. And I just wanted to slap him. I just wanted to be like, <laughs> you know, here your wife labored for hours. She's eagerly waiting there trying to please you, and the first thing out of your mouth was, it's not good enough. Because you may have said it needs more salt, but what she heard is, it's not good enough. And then he said one of the dumbest things a man could ever say. It's good, but it's not as good as my mom's. Oh, no. Oh, boy. And I just, just, what do you do? You just shake your head. That's a no-go. Start setting off appointments in my calendar. Yeah, we're going to need a block of time here. We're going to need a block of time there. See, you need to train yourself to express gratitude. Thank you for making me a meal. Even if the meal is terrible, you can honestly look at them and say, thank you for spending the time on this meal. I really appreciate it. How is it? This must have taken you a long time. I really appreciate your time. What do you think? You know, I've never quite had potatoes like this. <laughs> you got to be real honest. And I really appreciate you your... I really appreciate the time you spent on this. You need to be free. Be, express gratitude freely. And it'll make your spouse feel appreciated and fill your heart with gratitude. Number four, this is similar but different. So we're going to express gratitude. Number four is compliment freely. Criticize carefully. Compliment freely criticize carefully. We do the opposite. Most people criticize freely and compliment carefully. I don't want to give them a big head. They don't have a big head. They, they need some love. They need some encouragement. And so, let me say two thoughts about this. Compliment your spouse for who they are more than for what they do. Character compliments are far more powerful than action compliments. 
Thank you for making dinner. That's good, and that's a, an action compliment. Thank you for loving me enough to cook me dinner. That's a character compliment. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being a good mom to our children. Thank you for being a hard worker that, that pays the bills. You could thank him for, for paying the bills. You could thank him for bringing home money. You could thank them for being the type of person who does something good. Far more powerful. And so thank, compliment people for who they are. And then criticize carefully. You've got to learn to pick your battles. You know, sometimes people get in argumentative modes, especially if you're having a hard time in your marriage. And someone, you know, you hear a spouse say, well, boy, I like that caller. And the other one will say, I don't like it. Okay, what am I supposed to do with that? I just told you I liked it. Why are you, why are you telling me you don't like it? Well, I think this is, I think this is a nice picture. I, I don't see what's good about it. See, even those little things, when you devalue somebody's viewpoint, that gets old real quick. But then a, a, wife, can, a wife can do good five days out of the week, but the husband walks in one day and the dinner's not ready or the house isn't picked up. It's like, why isn't the house picked up? And he doesn't know that she was just cleaning up, throw up off her shirt and, and he had a diaper blow up over here and had to train a kid over here and had all this stuff. It's, you, pick your battles wisely. If you're, if you're going to criticize something, if you're going to try to fix something, make sure it's worth following through. Here's the problem. When you make sniping comments where you make a passing critical comment, but you're not invested enough to follow through to fix it, that leaves lasting damage. If you bring up something that needs addressed, follow through to a conclusion so that by the time the conversation's over, hopefully it's fixed or at least it's down the road to some type of conclusion. There was a study done recently, and this will be shocking to some. They did a study that examined the ratio as positive interactions needed to cancel out a negative one in marriage. And the study showed that for every negative interaction, it requires 20 positive interactions to cancel out the negative one. What does that mean? That means that we should be 20 times more positive than negative. Not twice as much, not 10 times as much, 20 times more positive than negative. Really? That's really, yeah. That's... And when you look at it like that, it's like, oh, we all got a lot of work to do, don't we? And so same thing to do with kids. You know, it's hard whenever your job as a parent is to correct kids and train them. But you need to find reasons to praise your children. Even if, even if your husband is going through a rough time, find reasons to praise him. If your wife is struggling, find reasons to praise her. And compliment freely, criticize carefully. Next, tell your partner what you need. Tell your partner what you need. Your partner's not a mind reader. Nope. Here's what typically happens. Typically what happens in marriage is a spouse will drop hints waiting for their spouse to get it. And if the spouse doesn't get it in an appropriate amount of time, then they get upset and resentful. Nope. Let, me, let me tell every woman in here, your husband will always get it wrong. And for every time he gets it right, it's just enough to think, to make you think that it's going to happen again. I told my wife years ago, let's not play the guessing game. If I ask you what's wrong, I need you to tell me because I'm not going to guess. I'm not going to get it. I should get it. I should be smart enough. I should be wise enough. I should know you well enough. 
I am a thick-headed man. I'm not going to get it. So let's save us both a lot of trouble, and you tell me what you need, and I'll tell you what I need, and then we can have a conversation about it. Don't, don't play the guessing game and then get mad whenever people don't follow through. Tell them what you need and then get mad when they don't follow through. Amen? It's, that was a joke. Uh, still don't get mad when they don't follow through. All right, next, touch your partner often. And this is physical touch, and studies have shown this, physical touch is like a drug. It actually changes the chemistry in the brain, a physical touch. And, and I'm talking about non-sexual touch. Uh, non-sexual touch releases powerful hormones in the brain. Here's a trick I've taught men for 20 years. When you get home, give your wife a 20-second hug. There's something magical about 20 seconds. It takes about 20 seconds. If you will hug someone for about 20 seconds, then at that 20 to 25-second mark, the brain chemistry changes, endorphins are released, and it has a a dramatic change on the connection. And so uh, I, I believe in just a, uh, if it's appropriate for your relationship, a lot of physical touch. I think couples should hold hands. I think they should sit close together. I think uh, a man should put his arm around a woman. I think that there should just be a lot of physical touch during the day because each one of those are a connection point and more connection is more love. You're breathing love into the relationship. You're blowing, you're blowing oxygen on that fire called love every time that you have these connections. All right, number seven, spend 10 minutes in meaningful conversation every day. Spend 10 minutes in meaningful conversation every day. I won't develop these last few. Too many families get into what I call business mode. All the conversation is about who's taking the kids to school, what time are they getting home, what time are you getting home, what are we having for dinner, did you pay this bill, we need to do this, i got to go to Walmart, when are you doing laundry? That's all business stuff. You did not fall in love having conversations like that. You fell in love by having meaningful conversations. And, and what do I mean by, by meaningful? I mean looking someone in the eye. Put a kind look on your face. Look someone in the eye and have the intention in your heart to understand. One of the biggest mistakes married couples make whenever they have a problem is you want your partner to understand you. And the first thing that needs to happen is you need to understand them. Explain to me this. Why did you get upset here? Why is that important to you? If you seek to understand first, then it's a lot easier for people to listen to you. But we all know what it's like. One talks, the other talks, the other talks, the other talks, and nobody's getting anything because they both are trying to make the other one understand. Somebody just needs to say, I want to hear you. Tell me what's on your heart. And now you have a connection. Amen? Number eight, relive good memories. The road of life has many bumps. One of the best ways to get through the hard times is focus on the great times. If you say, well, we don't have a lot of good memories, well, why not? Start making them. Make good memories. I think every couple should have a date night, a weekly date night. Get a babysitter. Sir, make it happen. Have a weekly date night, a weekly date night, a weekly... Date night. Okay, amen. Dennis now wants to go on a date. He's not even married, all right? It's a weekly date night. And it doesn't have to be expensive. There were times when my wife, before she got sick and we didn't have a lot of money, we would go buy Taco Bell, get a couple uh, Taco Supremes, and go sit by the ocean wall and eat a taco together and talk. Now, you don't have to always buy a filet or go to a nice restaurant or spend lots of money. It could be you just take a walk. But marking time on the schedule where you both know this is our time, powerful, and it matters, and you're making memories. Number nine, choose your spouse again every day. 
Choose your spouse again every day. I often look at my wife and say, I'd choose you all over. You understand with a wife in my position, it's easy for her to say, well, you wouldn't have married me if you knew I'd been this sick. You wouldn't marry me. You wouldn't have married me if I'd looked like this when, when we were dating or if I, if I couldn't do the things I can't do now. And I said, baby, I'd choose you all over again. Knowing everything I know now, I still choose you. And that may not be your case, but I guarantee you, husbands, listen to me. Every woman in this room has insecurities. And she needs to know that you believe you made a good choice. Yes. And you would do it all over again. And ma'am, can I tell you something that your husband probably doesn't want you to know? He's insecure too. He feels like he doesn't do a good enough job. He wishes he could take better care of you. He wishes he made more money. He wishes he was, he was better at this or that. And he needs to hear, I'd choose you all over again. So choose your spouse every day. Satan loves to torment married couples by making them feel like they married the wrong person. The person you're married to now is God's will for your life. Stop beating yourself up with that. And let me say lastly, number 10, love begets love. What do you do when love is waning in your relationship? You remember that love, God's love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. Agape love is a commitment. It's a selfless, sacrificial commitment. And when love, when the feelings of love wane, what you can do is choose to prove your commitment through sacrificial service. Most of the time, when you express godly love, your spouse, either sooner or later, will respond with that same type of love. Every once in a while, someone in a marriage is a real knucklehead. And no matter how good you do it, they're still going to be stubborn. Jesus said there's only one reason why people get a divorce, and that's for hardness of heart. Hardness of heart comes in a lot of forms, but it's basically when people stop trying and when they say, I'm not even going to trust God to fix our marriage. That's hardness of heart. But 1 Peter chapter 3 says, if that's the case, the best thing you can do to an unbelieving or an unresponsive spouse is to be the best wife you can be. And show them Christian love and service. That's your only hope to save him. And sir, if your wife's that way, the best thing you can be is to be the best Christian husband and show her that love because that's the only hope she has. Most of the time, when you choose to give this love, your partner will respond with a similar love. But I can say every time, every time, you choose to give this type of love, it generates more love in your heart. So I'm just not feeling like I love them. Then start serving them sacrificially and the love will grow in your own heart. See, that's how people that stay together a long time and they say, I love you more than I've ever loved you. How can that be? They've been through tragedy and death and disease and difficulty. How could you love me more now in this body looking like this after all the problems we had? How could you love me more now? And the answer is because I have been loving you. And as I've been loving you, my love grows. Isn't that a blessing? So here's the truth. Love begets love. 
I hope we never forget that. And that, that can be used in any relationship. Father, help us as we strive to bring more love into this world. And specifically tonight we talked about our marriages. But Lord, that we can use these, this principle in any relationship. That is, you loved us. We love you because you first loved us. And as we first love others, it will generate more love in us and often in them. And may your people fully understand love and fill the world with it. Heads about, eyes are closed. Wonder what the Lord would have you do with the information from this evening. It's a powerful thought to think that you can begin generating love in any situation you're in simply by showing godly love. What a powerful thought. Let's start living that way. Heads about, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. If you have something you want to pray about, maybe you could pray that God would fill your heart with love. But it's more than just a prayer. Start loving and your heart will be filled with love. situation needs more love? Is there a situation in your life you want your home to have more love? Your marriage? Maybe children need to love their parents more. Not not just in, in word, but I mean in deed. And your parents need to love their children more. Maybe siblings need to love more. Maybe church members need to love more. Everybody wants to love after they've been loved. Aren't you glad God didn't do it that way? See, the best Christian goes first. I often tell people in marriage counseling, the best Christian goes first. Somebody's just got to decide to be a good Christian and do what's right. And we love him because he first loved us. Father, we're thankful for what we've heard this evening. I pray that you'd help us to remember these principles, to use them wisely.